Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. And I have Alina with me. Hi mate, how are you doing? This is very weird considering I always do the hello and you always do the intro, so I kind of feel like I'm out of my comfort zone right now. (laughs) It does feel old. (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay, who have I got on with me today? Right, the reason I wanted to do the introduction today is because, funny enough, this is an old friend of mine. Still a new friend, old friend, I don't know, still a friend. And uh, he's coming here to talk to us about uh, the new project, Their Finest Hour. We are joined by Joseph Quinn, who is a specialist in uh, World War II and conflict in the 20th century. But you would remember him if you've been listening to us for a while now. You will remember him when he came onto the podcast to talk about Irish volunteers in the Second World War. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. It's good to see you again. Actually, it was very funny when the call began. You were just like, oh, it's you. <laughs> you again. <laughs> I was, yes, it's me. <laughs> I made the joke that I'm leaving the podcast and uh, Chris is going to do it all by himself. Poor Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be the first time. Oh, dear. But we're not talking about Irish volunteers today. We are going uh, to talk about your new project or one of the projects that you're on, which is their finest hour. First of all, what I think our listeners need to know, what is this project? Because give us an outline. What are we looking at here? Okay, so Their Finest Hour is the latest in a succession of digital humanities crowdsourcing projects that have been run by the University of Oxford, specifically by Dr. Stuart Lee, who is the pioneer of what we call the Oxford Community Collections Model. Now, essentially, Stuart came up with this idea to digitize First World War poetry. So it was a project called Poetry of the First World War, and he ran it. And then he uh, had the idea of doing something wider around preserving First World War heritage. And so this led to a project which was run during the centenary of the First World War about five or six years ago called Lest We Forget. And Lest We Forget, uh, for those who are familiar with it, uh, was accompanied by a companion project that was run was a pan-European companion project called European 1914-18 and I'm sure yourself and uh, Alex Churchill are familiar with this in particular this was a huge uh, crowdsourcing endeavour and they got so much brought in from various different countries from Germany from France from Italy uh, UK as well, and also the Republic of Ireland, um, Republic of Ireland that had famously shunned uh, First World War uh, remembrance and commemoration for so long, embraced this because there was a, a change of spirit. And I actually was a volunteer on European in 1914-18 at Trinity College Dublin in 2014, and that's when I first came into contact with what we now call the Oxford Community Collections Model. So I didn't know the team at Oxford, I didn't know their project, I didn't know that they'd even formulated this whole idea. So Stuart hired me in 
2022, I was hired um, about a year ago to work as basically the communications guru or the, you know, sort of the networking and outreach person. But I also work very closely with the team to coordinate, help coordinate events throughout the country. And we, what we basically do is we gather physical items, items of physical heritage as well as stories um, from various different people um, around the country, around the UK. And these are ordinary people. These are people who are the children or grandchildren of what we now call the wartime generation or greatest generation. And they're bringing their photographs, they're bringing their diaries, they're bringing their letters, they're bringing uh, various different equipment that they kept with them from the war. Sometimes it's fragments of weaponry. We don't encourage people to bring weapons, by the way. And sometimes it's like, it could be, it could be, um, you know, metals. It could be shrapnel fragments. It could be a variety of different things that they've kept mementos from the conflict, things that they brought from various different other countries uh, during the course of their war service. And it's also civilian recollections as well. And what we're aiming to do is we're aiming to produce an, a, a digital online archive that will be free to use and will be launched next year on the anniversary of D-Day, 6th of June, 2024. And it will be basically be a publicly available online archive for everybody to go in and to look at basically what we've gathered. Well, Chris jumps in with a question. I'm interested to know, are you just concentrating on Great Britain, Ireland? Can people who fought, for example, on the Eastern Front in Poland, I don't know, in Egypt, in Africa, North Africa, or even in, for example, Japan, can they also be included in this archive? Absolutely. We will take stories from every quarter. We will take, if it's to do with the Second World War, or from the years immediately preceding the war or the years immediately after the war, we will take those stories. We will take photographs or scans of objects, items, documents, uh, however it comes to us, JPEG images normally, and we'll take the stories as well. We will accept anything that comes our way from any country. It could be to do with anybody. I mean, I'm not going to go into too much details, but we have recollections of... um a Yugoslav partisan. We also have um, the memories of a, a Brazilian veteran uh, um, of the Second World War who served in Italy. We have we have store and also American personnel as well. We do have those kind of recollections coming into our archive. But to answer your question, this is primarily a British and Commonwealth online digital project. So our immediate focus is the United Kingdom and the Republic of Ireland and the Republic of Ireland as well as Northern Ireland. Um, and as well as that, we also want to encompass, you know, sort of the, the online heritage of Australia, New Zealand, Canada, South Africa and India as well. We have a massive interest and focus on uh, South Asia and their and the contribution that the former it Raj or former former British India and uh, made um to Allied victory in the Second World War. We're also very interested in the African contribution. We're interested in the contribution of people from the former British world, from all the countries that make up the Commonwealth and all countries that were part of what was used to be the uh, British Empire. But we will take stories to answer your question from any country, from any quarter, as long as it's relevant to the Second World War. I'm not going to name the institution, but 
I know that there, there's an institute, a famous institution that stated that they didn't want, quote unquote, people's dom- domestic rubbish donated to them any further. And so if you're at home and you've got some like ration books or um, like I've got a tin of Burmese um, occupation money, is that, are those the sort of submissions you want or is there anything specific that you'd like uh, submitted and donated? Absolutely. 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 It's like, I mean, what you have, send it in. We'd love to have it. I mean, one of the things I, I, I am loosely familiar with the quotation that you're making. And uh, again, for a variety of reasons, because we partner with a lot of institutions throughout the UK who've given us quite a lot of help, including the Imperial War Museum, the National Archives and various different institutions of this kind. They all, these, these institutions see the value of this particular project and they, they understand its importance mainly because addressing the issue that you've just described in a way more polite way. Fact of the matter is a lot of these museums and institutions, archival institutions, especially smaller local, like regimental museums and whatnot, they simply do not have the space to take in physical items. There are some physical items that are so special, so important, so precious and and so prized that they will take them in if they find them. Um, But the thing about it is, they can't take all this heritage in. It's just, it's physically not possible to accession the physical heritage of the Second World War, the great wealth of physical heritage that's held in people's attics, lofts, on their mantelpiece and cupboards. So our solution is basically what this project does. Our solution is to basically provide a facility where we can make digital copies of this physical heritage photograph it, scan it. Basically, if it fits onto a camera, you basically you photograph it and it's uploaded. And there is, the, you know, physical heritage that has actually been copied in this particular way, um, which, you know, has subsequently been lost. Um, but we have the duplicate copy because of digitization projects of this nature. So they're very important. And we don't consider any of this material to be rubbish. This material is all uh, is very, very important. I mean, people submit ration books, they submit ration coupons. We do get a lot of those kinds of submissions, but keep them coming because with those ration coupons and with those, you know, those books that, like, I mean, people think are ubiquitous is a story. And stories are very often unique. And, you know, the contribution of, you know, the, the, the average humble British housewife is no less important to us than the contribution of, you know, Harry or Ralph who served in the Home Guard or, you know, the son who went off and served in North Africa with the, you know, the Staffordshire Regiment or, or, or the daughter who served in number 13 Ordnance Factory. These stories are all important in and of themselves. And so are the items that are associated with those stories. So there's no such thing as junk in our, in our view. This is all important. It's all precious. And it's vitally important and crucial that it's all digitally preserved. You've got to have something that you may have only seen one of in your life. Example, I have a medal, not a medal that you pin onto your your lapel, but sort of like a medal style sort of coin that my grandfather had. I have the only one in existence because nobody else owns it. And the rest have been lost. And there has to be something in your collection that for you, you've looked at it and got, holy shit, I cannot believe that we have a copy of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do have, 
there are, there are, I'm going to be honest with you. There are a couple of items we have. I cannot tell you what they are because oh, no. they are, no, we can't, we can't, we can't. I, I'd love to tell you, but I've been with a moratorium on that because they are, we've gathered some pretty incredible items and there, there, there are some items that are like flagship important. They're, they're really good, but I can give you an example of the kind of items um, that were gathered in the previous projects. And of course I can share some, uh, I, I give you an example of some of the items that we've gathered for your listeners. But I, in terms of like really important mega, holy shit kind of, you know, finds that kind of thing. Um, Stuart Lee, our uh, project lead or PI, um, on the previous project, lest we forget, was invited by the companion project Europeana 1914 to partake in a number of events. So he attended events in Dublin and Ireland. He attended events on the continent. And there was one event that he attended in Bavaria. And at that event, somebody came up to him rather excited and said to him, uh, look what we found. And they handed him a card. And on the cover of the card was a, a schloss. It was a famous picture of a well-known guard tower in Nuremberg Castle from the early part of the 20th century. So you have the card and they were okay. And and they said, flip it over. And so he's looking at it and there's some scribbled writing and whatever. And they said, look who signed it. And it was signed by none other than Adolf Hitler. It was a postcard from Adolf Hitler to his friend, Karl Landsammer, who was his colleague in the Bavarian army, who a comrade in the Bavarian army who was serving at the front. And Hitler was on leave in Nuremberg and he was there he had an appointment with a dentist and uh, because not many people know this, but Hitler suffered from lifelong problems with his teeth and he was constantly going to dentists to get various different problems with his teeth sorted. So he was given leave to basically go home to Bavaria and actually he had to go to Nuremberg to see this dentist and he picked up this card and he said to his friend and that ended up in with this particular family and they brought it to this digital collection day. And that's an example of the kind of material that comes into projects such as ours, an example of like standout extraordinary stories. And I have to tell you, we have had submissions made that are basically connected with leading figures from the Second World War. Again, I can't go into too much detail, but I can give you an example of some of the stories we have gathered. And one of them does connect with Adolf Hitler. Uh, we actually have a barograph taken from the German state yacht, the Wiesel Grill, and that was Adolf Hitler's, you know, personal yacht. And it was the yacht in which a triumphant Adolf Hitler had planned to sail up the Thames upon the completion of a successful invasion of the United Kingdom. And the contributor's grandfather took the barograph after his captain invited him to board the Aviso Grill and take a souvenir for posterity. And he continued to use it for himself on subsequent journeys across the world. So you know, we have, we do have those standout items uh, coming in, but we also have, you know, we have ordinary stories and ordinary items that in uh, and of themselves tell a very emotional, very moving and very special story about the people who once owned these items. Before we move on, if you guys are interested, I don't mind donating some of my family stuff, even yes. though it's nothing to do with uh, the British Commonwealth. We have a lot of Polish stuff, and also my great-grandfather who had orders when he was based in the UK during the Second World War. So 
the next time I'm over, we have to meet up and I'll bring over all the kind of stuff that you need to take copies of. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. But one of the things I would say is you don't necessarily need to come to one of our events. And this is a very important point. We we have run uh, just over 30 events throughout the UK so far. And we have uh, just as many events still to go. We'll probably have run about 70 to 80 events by the time this project has run its course. Um, and the events uh, phase of our project is shutting down, but there is still, it's going to be shutting down in the early part of next year, but there is still the opportunity to submit stories through our direct submissions portal on our website. If you go to our website, it's theirfinesthour.org. If you go to our website, you will see a button on the homepage, which says just it's beneath a sign, preserve their memories. And the button says, share your story. Click on that and you go straight through to our direct submissions upload portal and you can put your story in there and upload items all from the comfort of your own home. Where where do you fall on taking things from Italy and sort of prisoners of war? The stories of our enemies are just as important as the stories of the people who served in the war and the people who were our allies. I mean, no disrespect, I know, I know, to you, uh, Lena, I know how much the Poles fought and sacrificed during the war and how much they suffered. And I understand if um, many people may not understand this particular point of view, but there's a particular reason why we're interested in the stories of our enemies. And it's because of the fact that 1.5 million German and Italian personnel were prisoners in this country. That's a huge amount of prisoners that came into this country and that lived among the British population, lived among the people, and actually formed bonds of friendship and even love. Um, there are marriages that occurred between British women and German and Italian prisoners of war and families. Were, and we've been contacted by people who are the descendants of Italian prisoners of war. Um, and there's one story in particular, which is very moving, I have to say. Um, you know, the author Paul Beaver, the best-selling author. Uh, well, Paul Beaver contributed a story to our archive. And what it was, was it was a portrait painting of Beaver's mother, uh, which was done on the occasion of her 21st birthday. And basically what happened was there were Italian POWs who were engaged as farm laborers near Kempshot. And this particular part of Hampshire was where the contributor's mother, Paul's mother, um, sorry, not Paul's mother, uh, yeah, Paul, uh, Paul's mother um, was based when she was evacuated uh, during the war. And when Italian laborers on the farm heard that she was just about to celebrate her 21st birthday, one of these POWs, a talented artist named Giuseppe, painted her portrait as a gift. And that portrait hangs uh, this to this day in Paul's study and he submitted the story of how this portrait was created as well as an image of the portrait to our archive and it's one of our prized items and it the item among many items that we have had connecting with the stories of enemy prisoners of war in this country uh, says a great deal about the experiences of those POWs and about the fact that it wasn't a clear-cut case of people being caught on opposite sides. It wasn't as simple as that. People, you know, sort of emotional connections and bonds were formed between these peoples. And, you know, the sort of the enmity that is aroused by war was broken down by the bonds of the natural bonds of affection that form 
during wartime in times of great stress. And this is one of the things that we want to emphasize. Part of this project is documenting, you know, sort of how a society responds in crisis and how it, you know, sort of a society, a country such as this basically functions under the duress of war and conflict. Items like this and stories like this demonstrate how people basically, how relationships and essentially living situations evolve with the times and how, you know, fundamentally people ultimately do not resort to the old quarrels, but um, I guess just basically rise above tensions and hatred and ultimately form lasting bonds of friendship and love. Chris has got quite a few family connections, especially during the Second World War when it comes down to the British. I think your grandfather fought in Burma and another one fought in the Italy campaign. Chris, tell us a little bit, because I think it would be nice to share a bit of stories while we're doing this podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. I've got bits that they've left. Oh, obviously, a lot of people in that generation don't, didn't really talk about their war service. And um, my paternal grandfather only told the funny stories. Although there are, there are bits that come out, like um, running up Salerno Beach with a radio, calling in targets to the King George V, hating the German version of Silent Night because they had a killer century singing it. And he, even to the, I think the other one, the other strangest one is that he got captured by the Yugoslav Tito's partisans. Um, thank you. Yeah. Um, he was captured on the wrong side of the Austrian border in 1945 by the partisans and uh, tortured because they thought they were saboteurs. But, um, loads of little bits like that. But they're sort of half half complete stories. I don't know the full facts of them all. Yeah, it's interesting actually that you mentioned your is it sorry, is your grandfather, yes? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the the anniversary of the Salerno landings um took place just this September gone by, the eightieth anniversary. And I've actually visited Salerno on that particular occasion. I visited the Commonwealth Wargrave Cemetery there and I sort of took in the landscape as James Holland said kind of you know sort of walk the ground so you get an appreciation of what the allies were up against when they landed at Salerno and one of the things I would say to you is that we are getting to answer your question a lot of stories coming from both the Burma campaigns and the Italian campaigns so we're getting those stories coming in but one of the things I would say is keep them coming um, there there's no story that's too small or insignificant, you know, for, from our project's point of view. We want as many stories as possible, documenting as many, uh, basically, campaigns from the Second World War as possible and as many experiences. We don't actually have enough stories coming in, for instance, about the North African campaign. So we'd really like more stories uh, submitted on that. And um, certainly the submissions that we're getting about the experiences in the Burma campaign in particular are quite fascinating. And I'll give you an example. One of our one of our favorite stories from the uh, from from this particular period or this particular campaign. Okay, so one of our favorite stories um, from the Burma campaign that has come into our archive is basically um, what we call the lucky repeat story. And the actual title is a brief memory of my father, but our team preferred to call it. The Lucky Rupee story, because this is a story from the Burma campaign, a um, story from a veteran of the 14th Army. It's a very short and simple story. It includes an image of a rupee coin with a large hole in it, caused by something like a projectile traveling at great speed and velocity, which hit the coin and punched a hole in it. And the story goes like this. 
I have my father's lucky rupee. It saved his life in Burma during World War II. A bullet, one of many fired at him by Jap- the Japanese, pierced his shirt pocket, went through his cigarette tin, uh, through his Bible, and then was stopped by a rupee coin resting at the bottom. If it had not been there, it would have entered his heart. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> for me, for me, that story, it's a very simple, short story. But you could, there's so much in it that you could write a novel about it. And also, like, I mean, what it really encompasses is the danger that the ordinary British and Commonwealth infantryman was facing on the front line, you know, fighting against the Japanese and against the Germans um, and Italians during the Second World War, the actual real dangers that they were facing and the fact that they had all things flying at them left, right and centre and that, you know, their survival was... It was real wing and a prayer stuff, and in this particular instance, this 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 item is literally, you know, this is the reason why the the particular contributor's father survived. And arguably, I think if you read between the lines, I think ultimately, if it wasn't for that rupee coin, the contributor themselves may not have come into existence. If you think about it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss that way this this is the this says as much i think in some ways about the descendants of the wartime generation as it does about the wartime generation itself and that is another reason why this project is important we've been talking a little bit about testimonies and a lot about objects but i want to stick to this idea of collecting all of these stories audio spoken written what kind of stories do you have? Is it predominantly written short ones? Are they recorded with veterans? What are we looking at when we talk about this? It's a whole combination of submissions. So we do have an oral history project as part of part of this. It's a sub project as part of the overall project. It's not our primary focus, though. Our, our primary focus is not to gather testimonies with veterans. We will do and eyewitnesses. We will do that where we can. And we have gathered eyewitness and veteran testimony. But our primary focus is to gather stories from the descendants or, you know, sort of people who have been connected with members of the wartime generation because the wartime generation have largely passed now. We are this is one of the big utilities of the project. We are now approaching a point where the war is beginning to fade from living memory. 
And as the war fades from living memory, it is important to have projects of this nature to capture the reminiscences as they have been passed down to succeeding generations in order to understand how the memory of the wartime generation has been transferred to the succeeding generations. So this is something that is important to do now. There's a reason why we haven't waited until the centenary, like what was done for the First World War uh, precursor projects that we ran, is because of the fact that when we ran those precursor projects, when we ran digital, digital crowdsourcing projects to gather the testimony the and the, the physical heritage of the First World War, there was a disconnect. The succeeding generations, the people who contributed these stories were ultimately disconnected from this conflict. They weren't, in some cases, very knowledgeable about the conflict. And this connection with that conflict and that period in history had been removed because every living eyewitness from that period had pretty much disappeared by that point. We don't have that problem with the Second World War, but we're approaching a point where the sun will set. And therefore, we have to do it now. We can't wait. And I suppose what we're getting out of it, you're probably wondering what our team at Oxford are getting out of this project. We are going to gather very valuable data about how people remember the Second World War in terms of succeeding the passing of that living memory to succeeding generations. And we're asking, in addition to gathering the, these stories, we're asking very important questions, such as how do you connect your Second World War memories as they've been passed down to you and as you've learned about the Second World War to how do you apply um sort of things like Dunkirk spirit or Blitz spirit to the great challenges and crises that you face in the modern day era. Does the Second World War some and the memory of the Second World War and your family's experiences in the Second World War somehow ground you in the face of the great crises that we have to face day in, day out, such as COVID, such as, you know, sort of the impact of the war in Ukraine the current cost of living crisis or any other or, or the aftermath of the Brexit referendum or any of these great challenges that we face in the modern era. This is all stuff that we're looking to determine. And we're also looking to see how, how good people's knowledge of the Second World War truly is. So, so in order to understand how they contextualize the family memory of the family Second World War service within their overall understanding of that history and we're able to do that through not only the stories they submit but also the oral histories that we record at the collection day events because the other side of it is that we record we do take written submissions but at the digital collection day events there is a stage we call it the interview stage and we digitally audio record each and every interviewee at that particular stage. So there's going to be an oral history record of every single person who's contributed a story um, as part of our project. And we'll be able to produce transcripts from that. And so we have a full record of all the stories that are basically been submitted, both in written and audio form. Will you be um, tackling the really hard subjects to talk about but like atrocities not just like the holocaust which obviously alina would want me to talk a lot about but i mean like the worm out massacres in um prior to dunkirk and similar sort of events yes we will now we're going to keep an open mind on things like that and we've had some submissions that kind of you know touch upon 
some of the more unpleasant aspects of the war. And as I say, we'll keep an open mind. But the thing about it is we will be undertaking when when we wrap up the collections phase of this project, we will undertake a curation of the archive. And this will be ta- this will be undertaken over the course of three months in the lead up to the launch, maybe longer, maybe about four months. And in the course of that curation, we will make decisions on what will be accessioned to the free-to-use online archive and what will not make that cut. Now, 99.5% at least of what we currently have um, in our online archive will be released to the general public. That much I can tell you because there's quite a lot. There's a huge amount of material. There's a mountain of material that we could release to the public right now. I mean, it's it's good to go. But the thing about it is we have to comb through it all and we have to, you know, sort of we have to carefully, you know, edit it, make sure it's all, you know, sort of properly presented. We are not going to change any details whatsoever. The stories are going to be taken as they're submitted. One of the things we don't do is we don't correct the factual information that people submit to us. Their information may be wrong. They may have a date wrong. They may have... They may get some details confused or some facts that might be, you know, some historian or boffin might point it out and say, that's factually inaccurate or that's wrong, whatever. We don't care. We will take the stories as they're given to us. It is not our job and not our place to correct the stories as they're submitted to us. It's kind of part of the, it's, it's the whole idea, really. We're, at, we're assess, as I said to you before, we're assessing people in terms of, you know, sort of, you know, how grounded their knowledge of the Second World War is. And as a result, we will take everything as it's submitted to us and we will not edit a single detail. We'll correct the spelling, but that it won't go any further than that. And what we really are going to do is we're just going to seek out the sensitive details, stuff that might be offensive, stuff that might be upsetting, stuff that might be deemed, you know, too inflammatory to be released to the public, stuff that you know, could potentially be used for nefarious purposes. This is stuff that we will reserve the right not to release to the public if we if we deem it, you know, too sensitive to be released. There's very little that we've identified. I can't really go into too much details, but there's very little that we've identified that we feel couldn't be released to the public. But, you know, there are some submissions that we are expecting to come in that may be provocative and that may not elicit the best or the most desirable response and therefore we will undertake a curation and if there is material that we feel cannot be released for any particular reason we feel you know quite confident and well placed to make that call and um, we'll exclude it from the archive if we deem it necessary but rest assured much the vast majority of what we are we are getting in you are going to eventually be able to see for yourselves so if our listeners have something to give provide whatever it is when do you have your next collection days and where can people go to be able to do this obviously apart from the website so uh, our next event is actually taking place at the Akmadia Mosque Hall in uh, Lemington Spa. hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Bear in mind, I'm, I'm actually, as you can probably tell, I'm not actually born and raised in the UK. I'm from the Republic of Ireland. So if I get uh, the town, names of towns wrong, um, 
please forgive me. So that event is taking place on Saturday, the 7th of October. It is running from 10 until 4 p.m. And typically these events last for about a six hour duration. The interesting thing about the Akmadiya Mosque Hall event that's taking place on Saturday, just in two days time, is it's the first event um, uh, to be hosted by a mosque in this country. And um, what that speaks to is the diversity that we are seeking to achieve with this project. We're currently, you know, sort of we've just gone into Black History Month now, and we have a particular emphasis on attracting stories of black service and black experiences in the UK and Commonwealth during the Second World War. And, you know, a lot of black soldiers from, you know, the former um, British territories in Africa and also the Caribbean as well and various different other um, parts of the world served in large numbers in the British uh, Imperial and Commonwealth forces and made a huge contribution to Allied victory and were very keen to get their stories, particularly the stories of members of the Caribbean community who came to this country to serve in the Royal Air Force and to serve in various different capacities in support of the UK and Commonwealth war efforts. So, you know, we have we have this emphasis on diversity. But in terms of the events, you know, we do have a lot of events that take place that have been hosted by regimental museums. So we have that emphasis as well in terms of the the importance of local museums, particularly regimental museums. And um, the next event that's happening after uh, Ahmadiyya Mosque Hall is at the Staffordshire Regiment Museum on the 18th of October, and that's taking place in uh, Whittington, Litchfield, um, in Staffordshire. And then the two days after that, um, we are having um, events hosted by Purton Library in uh, Wolverhampton uh, on the 19th of October. That's Thursday, the 19th of October. We have another one happening at Burton Library, uh, which is basically Burton on, upon Trent in Staffordshire. Um, and that's 21st of October. And the same day, uh, Techford Library in Norfolk um, are basically hold, hosting a collection day event as well. So in some cases, we have uh, digital collection day events that are happening in different parts of the country on the same day. And that's happened a few times. And then we have major events, um, what we call joint events that are held in partnership with major institutions. And the next one of those to be taking place is the event at the Royal Navy Submarine Museum on Friday, the 27th of October. And that is taking place at Gosport, where the Royal Navy Submarine Museum is based. And this is basically um, an event that's arising as a result of our partnership with um, the Royal Navy Museum. Um, so basic or the National Museum of the Royal Navy. So we have a lot of those kind of partnership events taking place. You know, right throughout November, we are going to have more than 20 events running throughout the country, including partnership events. So we have a hugely busy uh, November ahead of us. And we've just recently launched a campaign called SOS or Save Our Stories. And essentially what we're doing through SOS is we're trying to encourage uh, school children at primary and secondary level to submit stories to go out and basically become what we call uh, champions, digital champions, and effectively to basically go to uh, places like care homes and to, you know, the, the homes of pe uh, people who are basically, you know, under supervision, of course. And to gather stories from, you know, eyewitnesses and from people who basically have the stories that have been passed down by members of the wartime generation that have long since gone. So we have a variety of activities and events 
that are upcoming basically that are you know that connect um you know in a variety of different ways with you know various different locations communities in various different parts of the country and you know there are november events most of those november events are centered around remembrance weekend uh, Saturday, November the 11th and Sunday, uh, November the 12th, Remembrance Sunday. So we have a big focus on big push on gathering stories around about that particular time. And the last thing I would say, I suppose, is that it is really, we are, the, t- the clock is ticking. We are now ticking down to a point where we're going to have to close off the events phase of our projects. So if you're listening to this, do check out our upcoming events. You just go to theirfinesthour.org forward slash events, and you can see a long list of our events uh, that are taking place right throughout the UK. And if there's one in your area, please come along. We'd be more than happy to for you to share your story, or if you just want to take a look around and see how one of our events works, by all means, come along. Absolutely. And uh, from a personal thing, I, I, I'd really encourage this because when you do the first, when I've been doing the first World War stuff, trying to find memories is difficult. So, and the second World War, as you said, with people passing away, I mean, but if we wait to the centenary, I'm going to be 60. And uh, I'm, I barely remember my granddad's stories that he told me in the late 80s now. So, <laughs> another 60 years and I'll really be struggling. But, um, so I'd encourage people as well to sign up. And would you mind just reminding everyone website um, where they can go to find out more and donate? Yes, actually. Yeah. And, and that's an important point. We do actually take donations as well. But, you know, there's a lot of things you can do on our website. So if you go to, you either go to theirfinesthour.org or you could go to theirfinesthour.english.ox.ac.uk the same thing so just go to theirfinesthour.org it's the simplest one and you can basically you're directed immediately to our home page and there are several different tabs you know sort of on the top bar you have the toolkit which basically provides all the materials in case you want to volunteer and you can click on the volunteer tab now our last volunteer training session that i'm aware of is going to be on the 12th of october which is next thursday so basically people don't have an awful lot of time if they want to volunteer to run their own events or host their own events but if you want to host your own event or run your own event we won't say no to you we will do what we can to accommodate you within a particular time period so we do still welcome more events but at the same time we're not going to encourage them uh, in our toolkit section is all the materials you will need to run your own collection day event plus guidance on how to conduct oral history interviews and everything like that you have the share your story tab which is basically directs you to the direct upload um, portal where you can submit a story from the comfort of your own home you have contact tab which basically you know gives our contact details our main email address if you have a, an interest in basically getting in touch with us, just simply email theirfinesthour at ell.ox.ac.uk. It's all there on the website. And we also run a podcast as well. Um, I know you're not particularly pleased to hear this, guys, but um, we do have a podcast. It's by the same name, Their Finest Hour. And what we do in this podcast is we conduct interviews like you do, but we mainly the primary focus of the podcast will eventually be to showcase what these events are like and the kind of stories that we are gathering. So if you want to check out our podcast, basically you can find our podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Google, as well as on the Oxford University um, podcast page. And then if you want to make a donation, we have basically a donations page. 
And if you want to check out our newly launched Save Our Stories or SOS campaign, the last tab on our on our webpage, it gives you all the details about how SOS works and how it works for schools and how people can become SOS champions. So it's all there. So please visit theirfinesthour.org for more information about our project. Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining us, telling us about this exciting project. Hopefully we will get you a couple of donations. We'll get you a couple of objects and uh, some stories, which will hopefully add to your fabulous already growing archive. So thank you. Well, so absolutely. Much thank you. Our incredible guests give us 45 minutes of their time to join us and talk about their work or their new book. This is just a small taster. As a result, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest books, you can support them, and you can support us on History Hack. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep going and bring you more top-of-the-line guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or search for us in the shop section thank you so much for your continued support we really appreciate our listeners and supporters so make sure you get down to the bookshop and grab yourselves a new book